I am Chris. And I'm Andrew, and welcome to Video Games Cover to Cover, Episode 7. So, we completed Chapter 3 this week. Yeah, we've been... After our first couple, like, false starts, we've been making a pretty good clip through this game, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, well, we both had a false start, and then um, somebody had a pretty big oopsie. <laughs> yeah, but let's let's just put that behind us and never bring it up again, ever. Do you, do you remember that time where you had to replay the entire chapter of three? Or two? Two. You, you, you always get your chapters wrong. But yes, I, I do remember you. that, as it turns out. So how did chapter three live up to your expectations? Honestly? Uh, pretty good. I was a little concerned uh, because part of the main story stuff, actually the first half of the main story stuff of chapter three probably, didn't really seem like there was much going on in it in terms of advancing the plot. But then the last couple things we did really pushed it forward a lot and, in my opinion, covered a whole bunch of things that I had been wanting to know and gave me some pretty solid at least pretty solid guesses, if not actual answers, to a lot of the things I had been wondering about. So I'm pretty happy. Oh. I got to be honest, I'm very disappointed. Really? We are, yeah. What do you mean, really? No, I'm no closer to an Immortal Grand Prix than we were in Chapter 3. Oh, you're right. Uh, Chapter (laughs) 2. Ah! But... Uh, all right, so by that metric, you're right. It was kind of a disappointment. It was a huge disappointment. I was going to say, though, I guess I can kick things off a little bit. I had a thought while doing all the editing for Session 6. In Final Fantasy X, during Operation Meehan, they said that in order for Sin to show up, for them to actually fight it with the Machina, they had to capture and kind of like i don't know if the i don't know if you had to like hurt the fiend or not but i know that you they needed a large fiend that was captured and that is what attracted sin to the location i see i don't remember that at all but i don't doubt you i'm sure it's just a matter of me not having played 10 in a while but yeah that's interesting when you actually first show up to mehen high road there's multiple uh Cages? Yeah, cages. Cages with fiends in them that they I believe that they have weakened. And they said that that's what they're supposed to do to lure Sin. So like what it- if that was a decoy and the real fiend, like the one that we fought at the end of that battle with Seymour, what if the real fiend that, w- that they were... attempting to wake up to attract sin was whatever was in that crimson cave. You know, that's really interesting. And that actually would make a lot of sense given what we know right now. Like I said, I don't recall that, but given that that is true, I, yeah, I mean that to my knowledge, both, and especially according to the crimson spheres, both of the operations were happening simultaneously. Yes, that's definitely true. It definitely implies that whatever the Crimson Squad is doing in that cave is happening during Operation Meehan. Yeah. I, I was sitting there and I was just listening to our, us talk about things and I was I just happened to remember that. And I was like, oh man, what if this was actually the thing the whole time? 
that's an interesting form of retconning. And, you know, I, I use the word retconning, but that tends to have a negative connotation, but I don't know, but that's not always true. And in this case, it wouldn't be like, that's actually a really interesting change in what we, what happened, but in a way that makes it more interesting rather than like, you know, a crappy way to cover up a plot hole or something. Because it could have been one of those things where that's why Yevon allowed the operation, even though it was nothing but Machina. Cause I remember Waka being, real mad yeah that yevin was involved in any way shape or form with this maybe they were using that as like a cover-up to try to get this thing ready because later on we find out that they thought that whatever was down there could actually defeat sin that's actually pretty cool in my opinion and i it probably isn't it and it may just be a coincidence uh that they just wanted to reuse that area but i'd like to think that they went back and said let's do something like that." no i mean i like that idea i don't think it's a coincidence because they have the benefit of already having the entire plot of 10 figured out and it's not it's not just that they reused the area more importantly they reused the specific time and there's no reason it needed to happen at that exact time if it is not somehow connected yeah that's a good point cuz those those spheres could have been at any point like they could have been after the comb started it could have been pre comb back like that this was something that you know new yevon was setting up to get ready for the next scene as an experiment or something but it's not either of those it happened at the exact same time and there needs to, if there's not a reason for that, that would be kind of poor storytelling, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I just, I like the idea that they were weaving this whole other story that they, when they built this game, that they were just tying even more things to the original game. I just, I like that. I think that if you're correct, and I don't see why you wouldn't be, that that is a very clever way to tie things together. So, on to our actual chapter chapter three uh, discussion. Sure. We have to look for cactars again. Yeah. Well, so it's not even really... Fun. It's not even really again, because it was just the cactar stones in 10, wasn't it? Were there actual cactars to find? Yeah. You... You you had to find the cactar in... But before, it was they were only on Bicknell Island, or Bocknell Island... Before, they were only there. Now, it's globally because of this whole, you know, Cactar leave the nest thing and then come back to become... The extremely fascinating uh, cactus life life cycle where you become you start as a cactus and then all of a sudden you gain the ability to walk around and a face and then you lose all that and become a cactus again. And then you realize you're like, you know what, just being a cactus is... That's all I care about. I've only ever wanted to be a cactus, but they're not. The thing is, it's not just a cactus. They're a talking cactus who apparently slays <laughs> gigantic fiends, potentially Vegna gun, though probably not at this point. Yeah, I, I'm not sure we're ever going to see what that thing is that it's that they're actually sealing. I hope we do, but. I've just had this feeling for a little while that we're not going to get that. My guess is that they didn't do that for a reason. And 
that we are definitely going to fight something that that comes. I don't know if it's going to have anything to do with that shut up zone because there's a bunch of cactar that are just kind of living in a cave that you're not allowed to get into for reasons. And I think probably, probably not chapter four because it kind of seems like the finale of the entire game, including all the side quests is going to take place at, uh, during or at the end of chapter five. I mean, as to be expected, since it is the last chapter, (laughs) No, I I get that, but even as you were saying, chapter four seems relatively light looking ahead at the guide. Yeah, it does, and there's very little um, ability to explore, it looks like, but obviously we haven't done it yet, so we'll actually see when we get there, but it seems like it's going to be very different from the chapters we've seen so far. Because there are so many things that don't even open up until chapter five, at least because that we can't even do it. So it doesn't really matter. But there's this monkey quest that the guide told us not to do in chapter one was well, not. It, it's not that the guide told us not to do it. It's that the guide didn't tell us to do it at all. So therefore we didn't. And then the guide mentions that they did it in chapter three, which I have no idea how that is possible because everything that I read online, if you're doing the 100% run, you absolutely cannot do this in chapter three. It's You just go in there and find a bunch of monkeys, which leads me to another thing. Some developer on Final Fantasy 2 has an obsession with monkeys. Yeah, because between Xanarkand and the monkey hunt in Kilika... They really like you spending time with monkeys, and I have no idea why. And have you noticed that on the ship, every time you warp to it, you hear a monkey go, No, I didn't notice that, but now I'm going to listen for it. I have no idea how you haven't noticed it, because every single time you beam up to the ship, you hear, to me, what sounds like a monkey. I mean, I think that I thought that was just the beginning of the music playing, but now I'm going to listen to see if I can specifically hear monkey. Yeah, to to me, it definitely sounds like monkey. But it wouldn't surprise me given the fact that there are multiple monkey-related side quests and we're only in Chapter 3. Did that Hypello show up for you in the Oasis? Yes, and he did have some very nice stuff. His, his items were so nice. I couldn't afford most of them at the time because I'm not a gigantic money bags the way you are, but... I did get a couple very nice things. I don't understand how that's possible at this point in the game that that stuff is too expensive for you. At this point in the game, it's not. But at the time, I only had, I had I had just come off of just paying a waka back. Oh well, I have two million gil. So yeah, I have like two hundred thousand gil at this point. It, to be honest, it's all your fault. I mean, you only have yourself to blame. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just commenting. <laughs> That because I did not have the money to buy all of his stuff. That Hypello is not there anymore. I think it's just a random event, whether he's there or not. I think it is, too. But the fact that he showed up, oh, I, I got a lot of good stuff from him, and I'm very happy. As Like usual, I just bought three of everything. I mean, yeah, that's really the only thing to do if you actually are trying to collect the stuff. But 
enough about that Hypello for a second. Let's talk about this Chocobo hunt. And more specifically, what I really want to discuss on that is the minigame. Because it is the only minigame in this entire Final Fantasy X-2 experience so far that I have been completely and totally incapable of even remotely doing. Wait, what? What the, Chocobo hunt? No, the Cactar hunt. Oh, you said Chocobo Hunt. I did? Oh, okay. Well, I meant Cactar. <laughs> the Cactar Hunt? I actually really like the Cactar Hunt. I'm so bad at it. Like, just so bad. I had 27,000 points or something at the end of it. I have yet to actually successfully beat a single one of them. Oh, wow. I Okay. So here is where my I have a chance to shine here. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't understand why, because, like, even doing all the things that I know would hurt my score, but would theoretically at least let me win, like, dodging every time it, it dodges, immediately pounding R1, it seems like it always hits me, no matter what I do. Yeah, see, the one strategy that I used is I would attack it, I would immediately attack, and then start spamming dodge, because it means nothing. It costs you points, but yeah, otherwise, no. Yeah, who cares about the points? Right, I don't either. I the was just points saying. don't mean anything. So as soon as it's I like attack, whose line is it anyway? <laughs> what I said, it's like whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter. Yeah, at least I have not figured out anything that the points matter at all. Especially because if you get so many good hits off in a row, you your score is astronomically high. There was only one that I actually beat, which was the second one. And the only reason why I lost the first one is just because I was using that opportunity to finish the game, and I didn't realize that it was just done immediately. I thought that you could try it again. But I can tell you, you're going to be a little upset, and you're going to have to get good at that cactar thing because... Yeah, I know. pretty sure the very last one you have to fight and beat, and... You you get to try it an unlimited number of times, yeah. from what I understand, but you have to beat it. I understand that, and yeah, I'm not looking forward to that at all, and that's honestly one of my biggest complaints is that I, I'm sure I could figure it out if I could retry like the early ones a couple of times and get a feel for it, but no, they're just immediately gone, and there's nothing you can do after that. And that is a little disappointing. For the most part, from from what I saw... It seemed like it was always, you could sort of just count one, two, three, and attack. Oh, yeah. And you'd almost always hit the cactar. And it's just a matter of, then I just immediately spam dodge. So for me, I, I was able to, I was actually able to beat one of them. The last, I will say, the last three were very difficult. And I came incredibly close to beating both of them. I, I think I had maybe one ammo and they had two or three health. And some of them I actually considered doing multiple times because I don't know what the difference is. I actually just like this mini game for some reason, I, even I, though I'm not super good at it. Cause it definitely frustrated me several times. I actually did like this one. It's not even that I dislike it. It's just that I'm just really bad at it for whatever reason. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, it's not my favorite minigame or whatever and partially the, I'm sure the fact that I'm not good at it makes me like it less but it's not that I hate the game or whatever I just don't enjoy it as much as say I like the gunner's gauntlet or whatever 
is weird and I don't have any intention of playing it again, but like I, I have fonder memories of that than I do of this stupid cactar thing. So with with the cactars, what you probably should have done in that case is just saved them until chapter five. Because once you get to chapter five, you can beat all ten of them in a row if you want it. And oh well, you, too late that, now. That might have been a better option because that would have given you more opportunities to practice. Not that it matters because the first two don't. Well, at least the first one didn't ever attack me with needles. I imagine the very last one is going to be incredibly difficult. Yeah, which is super annoying because if that is one thing that that bugs me because if I have to beat the last one, not letting me try again on any of the other ones before the last one is just going to make that way more annoying than it should be. I don't know. Only because all the practice that you did on the other ones, I don't think are going to have any impact at all, especially because all the pictures are going to change the way that the actual cactar reacts are sometimes different because in one of them, there were two cactars in a single one. And for me, not being used to the same pictures that show up, that made it more difficult. Because there was a couple of them that I ended up doing twice, and because I did it a second time, I did significantly better because I I was already used to the images that were showing up on the screen. Yeah, that very well could be. I I guess I just don't see why we couldn't retry all of them if we wanted to. No, that, that is fair, and I actually agree because... Since I liked it, because it's one of the only mini games I've actually been somewhat decent at, until we get Blitzball in Chapter Five, finally. So I actually screwed up pretty bad during the Comlands mission. Oh yeah. So right after you do all the Cactars and all of the mini games associated with the Cactars, you're sent to the Comlands. And in the Comlands, you have to save people from the tourist attraction that they made around where Yojimbo used to be. Which is weird. It's not, to me, I mean, it's not quite as weird as Xanarkin because Xanarkin was such, was, you know, like, essentially oh, the most holy place in Spira, more or less, since it rep- for what it represented and what had happened there. But it was still really strange to see them do that in the calm lands to me anyway especially because all the other temples you know are well preserved now granted even the one in even in 10 the yojimbo one was already pretty uh, it was an abandoned cave even then if i rem- remember See, correctly that's what's interesting about this because in 10 nobody really knew that yojimbo was there Yojimbo was a secret side Aeon that you could get. And, you know, if you paid him enough money, he would do ultimate attacks for you. And that's actually who I used to beat Dark Veil for right after I had gone through the story because I really needed to play Blitzball. And in order to play Blitzball, (laughs) I had to get back into Besaid in order to recruit one of the really good people that was sitting in there. So I had to defeat Dark Veil for, and the only way that I could do that without grinding for, you know, days on end was to just go get Yojimbo, grind with him a little bit till you give him enough money. Because if you give him 512, he is happy with you and he'll eventually do Zanmato constantly 
He'll just whip it out whenever he wants for you. And in Final Fantasy X, it was a way more powerful move than what it is now. I mean, even in this, it was still really powerful. The only reason, and obviously they had to change it because otherwise that would have been extremely unfair to you. Well, yeah, obviously, because it would have been instant death. In ten, it ignored HP. And no matter what, it wasn't a death spell. It wasn't, you know, max damage spell or whatever. Yeah, it just was, it was you're dead now. Yeah, he summons his super awesome samurai sword or whatever it is, cuts whatever thing is in half, and it's just dead. So I used that to defeat Dark Veil for so that I could get back into Besage so then I could, you know, play Blitzball because Blitzball is the greatest mini game in the history of mini games for all games, period. <laughs> it's always interesting that they call it that too, like Zanmato, and this is a small side tangent, but because when I used him, he reminded me the most of uh, Odin slash Gilgamesh from Final Fantasy VIII where the difference there being you didn't control when they came out in 8, like you could with the Ojimbo, but if they showed up, it was just the fight was instantly over, and one of the easiest ways to grind in 8 was to go to like an area with extremely high-level monsters and just constantly run away from fights until you got Odin or Gilgamesh, and then they just destroyed it, and you like would, you know, oh, I just got three levels or whatever. In like that, this, the mysterious stranger in... In Fallout? In the new Fallout series? Yeah. Mysterious Stranger. Yeah, very similar. That's sort of, oh, well, you just, you win now. The way it worked in 8 was especially hilarious, though. I just feel like I need to tell this story. Uh, spoilers for Final Fantasy 8 for this brief, hilarious moment, I guess. But if you have Odin before a certain boss fight, it's scripted, 100% guaranteed that Odin will get summoned for this boss fight. And then the boss actually slices Odin in half. And then you continue the fight for a little while. And Gilgamesh shows up out of nowhere. And he becomes Odin for the rest of the game. And actually does the slice that you couldn't do at the beginning. And it's just really funny that... Especially because Gilgamesh is explicitly... The Gilgamesh in Final Fantasy VIII is explicitly a character from Final Fantasy V who got sent through a dimensional portal and now apparently is stuck being a summon who just slices everybody in half. Final Fantasy lore is weird. Yeah. I got lost about halfway through that. But regardless, yes. Zenmato was a really cool move in the first game, and it's still really it's really annoying to be on the other end of it in 10-2, Although, obviously, I'm glad that they changed that, and I'm actually really curious, because if there's all those other Dark Aeons, is there a Dark Yojimbo in 10, and how does that move work for him in that? There is a Dark Yojimbo in 10, and he will use it, and I'm pretty sure it's still instant death. Oh. <laughs> you essentially, from what I understand, it's sort of just like a boss later. I mean, I don't know for sure but I thought it was the same. So maybe I shouldn't mention that because I don't want to be wrong. It, so it sounds like in, in that case, it's probably one of those fights where he's basically just on a timer, and then after the timer counts down, you're just dead now. I think what he, I think what he does is I think he uses that as his overdrive because I think with all the Aeons, it shows you what their overdrive meter is so you know to be prepared for the next attack. Because no matter what, 
when you fight the Aeons, as soon as they get their overdrive, they use it immediately. That's their very next attack. I will definitely say, though, especially doing this stuff with the Dark Aeons, uh, reminds me that I never did that in 10, and part of me kind of wants to dive back into that and just do that challenge in my spare time just to do it because I love 10 so much. Yeah, I, I hate to tell you and, and be the bearer of bad news, but those are among the most difficult fights that you'll ever have in Final Fantasy. It's definitely not a, I'll just pick this up whenever and attack them. There's a lot of preparation that goes into fighting those bosses. Yeah, I know. They're very, very strong. I know, I remember that, but... Because I did... If I opted bit. to use Zanmato instead of grinding to get levels and experience and spheres, that will tell you, for Veilfor, that should tell you how strong they are. That's a really good point, actually, yeah. So, going back to my screw-up in the Calmlands, the guide says... After you attack, or after you get all of the people out of the cave, that there'll be a save point somewhere. That's a quote from the guide. Use a save point somewhere, and then go back and fight Dark Yojimbo. So I was thinking to myself... I haven't seen a save point in any of the rooms anywhere. I walk out to the very beginning and I try to go use that save point and it comes up and says, leave mission. So with every other 100% thing in this entire game, I think to myself, wow, I don't want to lose my percentage for this. So I immediately go in to fight Yojimbo, because at this point I was frustrated, and what I thought was, okay, so I'll teleport in there, and then there'll be a save point, and then I'll walk forward a little bit, and then I'll fight Yojimbo. No. You teleport in to the room and immediately fight Yojimbo, and I had Yuna set up with the unerring, or whatever it's called, sphere grid, Unerring Path, the one that only has two in a straight line. Yes. Yeah. With Gunner and Warrior, both of them of which have her at around 15 to 17%. So essentially nothing is unlocked. I had just started using Berserker with Pain. So again, essentially nothing unlocked. And then I still had Riku set up for Alchemist, which, thank goodness... I can use Mix and, and effectively get a max potion that heals everybody for 2,000. Yeah. I The way I had it set up is normally for one of those type bosses, I'll prepare for it. I'll make sure and have spheres that I need and everything. I almost lost that fight multiple times, especially when he did Zamato. I didn't actually have too much of a problem with Zamato because I was already essentially preparing mix every single time. So when 
he would use it, I would just immediately have Riku fire up a mix and have her full heal or have her do 2000 health on everybody. And I ended up beating it on my first try. So I was pretty, pretty stoked about that. Even though I went into the fight, didn't prepare, didn't save, didn't do anything. I so could really, not afford to have to redo all of that again. So really you keep, you say it was a big, it was a big screw up, but in the end it really didn't impact you that much. I mean, I, it impacted me in the sense that I had to try a lot harder, and I almost died <laughs> several times. I had to try. You don't understand. <laughs> in between doing all that stuff and finishing the game, I've been working on a secret side project in the game. So I don't really have to, to try anything really anymore yeah i was watching him play a little bit earlier when i got here as he was wrapping up and i don't really have to try very much for anything and i'm in the mid 40s now chris is 20 plus levels above that (laughs) listen it'll all be you'll understand why i've done this when it comes up when it comes up you know there's just something that I need and something that I want, so it's going to happen, no matter what. When I decide I want something, it happens in a game. <laughs> I want a lot of things in real life, and they rarely happen. So I'm going to get what I want in the game. That is happening. <laughs> Fair enough. I will say, though, my screw-ups in the calm land were substantially worse than yours, even knowing that there was a save point. So I actually had to fight Yojimbo three times. Oh yeah. So the first time I missed a person somehow, I, I'm not sure if it was a typo or like a mistake in the guide or something I did myself, but I lost one of the people. So you, when you escort the people out, they all have these really stupid rules as far as like, oh, well, this person will only follow if there's less than four other people or some nonsense like that, which is incredibly stupid in the context of, I'm here saving your life and you're not going to come with me because there's two other people with you? What? But that aside, I lost one of the people. And maybe they're afraid of groups, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, but you have to be real afraid of groups for that to be overwhelming you more than the actual legitimate fear of dying immediately alone in a cave. I don't think you understand the extent that these people were afraid to be in groups. Apparently not. Maybe they truly hated one of the other people that you were with. I will say it actually was a mistake in the guide because you told me that that happened to you and that you needed to get the other person first. I looked and the one that he's talking about is you have to get number 10 before numbers eight and nine. Number 10 specifically says they, I I think that you had one other person. They say they will not join in groups of three or more, but once they've joined, they don't care anymore. 
And since you immediately pick up two more people, you would have had four when you went back to get them, so they wouldn't have joined you. But it doesn't specifically be like, oh, this person's running away or whatever. It still looks like they join, which is part of how I made the mistake. Yeah. Like, there's no alert of, hey, someone ran off. You just have to be aware, I guess. But re- regardless. So the where I was going with this was, so I got to the end and realized I only had 14 of 15. So I thought, oh, is the last person in the room with Yojimbo? Immediately fought Yojimbo, got out, and then got the notification that, oh, hey, by the way, you missed a person, and the mission's over, and you can't go back and get them. Oh, no. So reloaded, tried again, figured out my mistake, got all 15 of them, got wiped by Yojimbo thanks to that Zen motto, and then immediately following it up with an attack that wiped people out, and I just couldn't keep up. Just because of bad timing or whatever, like I would get a mix and then he would kill Riku before the mix would go off and things like that, and it just ended badly. And then the third time I was able to successfully defeat him, but I will say, though, I honestly think Alchemist, or Chemist, or whatever it's called, is easily my favorite class right now. It's so good. I really like it, too, and because of that, I'm actually happy that it takes a lot to level up all the AP and get everything. Yeah, that that job takes forever compared to every other job I've looked at so far. I mean, some of the others take a good while, like Thief took a while, but Alchemist is much longer than Thief was. Yes, I agree with that. Alchemist is taking a lot longer than Thief. Though I had worked on Thief for way longer than I actually should have. <laughs> yes, I remember that. But, I mean, at this point, monsters are regularly giving more than one AP, too, and it still is taking forever. Yeah, I noticed that. I, I think, I because I'm using Lady Luck on Yuna right now, and one of the things is Gillionaire, and it takes 300 AP, and I actually got it. And, and it was relatively fast, so I was thinking to myself, oh, wow, I got that way quicker than I thought thought I should have. So, I don't know about you, but I actually liked the way Mount Gagazette ended. I am not unhappy with the way all of that went down. So, Kamari mentions that several that Garrick has taken a bunch of Ronzo and started firing up the mountain. To, to get all of the Ronzo to essentially go out and attack the Guado. Part of your response to that is essentially walking all the way up Mount Gagazette, which was kind of annoying because he sabotaged the beginning thing or whatever it is. The teleporters. Yeah, yeah. the teleporter. And it's not, I don't think it's that bad, though, because Mount Gagazette, despite being a literal mountain, really isn't that long. I don't think anyway. It's only like three sc- three or four screens, I think. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't really bad at all. It was mostly just and it gave it gave you a chance to talk to all the Ronzo on your way up. So it really wasn't that bad at all. And it's a place to get some levels, which I mean, I haven't been going out of my way to do grinding at all, but I'm not complaining when you know I have to walk the long way through an area because it is a good opportunity to get some experience points. Which I still appreciate even though you don't really need it <laughs> i don't really need it that much either but i like 
I like getting experience points. I don't know. So after you get to, I obviously like it because, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the experience points you'd be getting on Chapter Three Mount Kagasite is obviously basically worth zero to you at this point. Hey, I had not. I did Mount Gagazet. I did everything up until Besaid. You know, normally, once I got to Besaid, I was a little higher than you know normal. <laughs> I was only around fifty at Besaid, I think. Or no, I got to, I got to the low fifties when I got to Besaid. Now I'm sitting around the. 70s for my main party yeah and substantially higher for some of his monsters but that's neither here nor there (laughs) i watched him do a bit of the monster arena which i'll admit i haven't really done much of at all but he was using like level 85 monsters yeah and still losing remarkably the stuff in that area is incredibly powerful and it's very hard to deal with. I'll I'll say that much. It's quite annoying. The difficulty ramps up very quickly in the creature creator stuff. And I've actually found it quite interesting being able to so so with the creature creator you don't tell the creatures what to do. You just give them suggestions based off of how many stars that are currently there. And then they'll do certain things based off of that. Yeah, it's basically just a meter between like maximum aggressiveness and maximum defensiveness. Yeah. And so I've actually and then you can you can manually give them more health and everything. And I've actually just find found it quite enjoyable. I've I've really liked the the creature creator. I've been having a lot of fun with it. But so once you get to the top of the mountain, you come across Garrick. And essentially, Yuna decides, okay, I have got to stop Garrick, which 100% agreement. I'm very glad that Yuna came to that conclusion. Her reason for it was kind of annoying. Because when you start the fight with with Garrick, she essentially says, I don't want to see Kamari sad. See, I actually thought, and this is interesting because this is going to be one of those moments we disagree in again, but I actually thought that that felt probably the most honest to Yuna of a lot of the things where she's like, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really care about the, the Guada or the Ronzo, but I don't want my friend to be upset. Like that, that fits with the way she's been presented where she's, Mostly just been, I don't really want to be involved in all this big, important stuff anymore. I just want to have my friends be happy. That aspect, I will certainly agree with you. I was just disappointed in the message as a whole. But immediately after that, she does say, and I don't want to see the Guado or the Ronzo sad either. It's just when she said that, my first reaction was like, um, Yuna... Attacking the Guado is definitely not cool. And I get not wanting to see Kamari sad. But like on the list of things that are important, that seems kind of relatively low on the list. But to each their own. I don't know. I 
I mean, from an objective standpoint, yes, it's definitely very low on the list, but it also seems like the most honest response because at the end of the day, that's how most people are going to be. And from a Yuna standpoint, yeah, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. That plays exactly to her character and everything that we've seen so far. But after you beat Garrett, what I really like is the game's overall message. Because Garrick says in in the video after that that he talked to the mountain, he told the mountain his plan, and the mountain fell silent. And Garrick said if Yuna hadn't stopped him, he was going to go against the mountain and attack the Guado anyway. And that he's grateful for Yuna for stopping him because it was the right thing to do, not only because, you know, for the Gua- or for the Juan- Ronzo themselves, but the mountain was like, no, dude, don't do that. That's super not cool. Please do not kill all the Guado. So the game's overall message, I really like that they had that tidbit in there, specifically because of how they treated the mountain as sacred and everything. That's just the message of, yeah, no, you shouldn't attack them. You definitely don't have Mountain's blessing for this. Yeah. No, I I agree. I I don't know. I, I'm thinking about it. I agree that that was not, that, that was definitely a, a good message to send and it wrapped up fairly well. I I felt a little unsatisfied with it, but I honestly couldn't tell you why. Like, I'm sitting here trying to put my finger on what bothered me about it, and I can't really, which I know is not helpful at all. Yeah. In in my opinion, I feel like it was wrapped up nicely. I I wish you could elaborate. Yeah, I'm 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 thinking about it. it. I don't know if I think if it comes to me, we'll come back to it. But I don't think it was bad. It just felt like it was missing something to me. But I don't know what. So when you get to Xanarkin, there's essentially nobody there. What I thought was interesting was there was 10 plus chests in there. And I had a thought because Zaru was the only one that was there at that point because he, he mentions that Sid has been gone for a while. And we know that because we've seen him in the Thunder Plains for the last two chapters. So do you think Azaru put all that stuff in those chests for the customers that normally would have been coming through, but because there's nobody there, we just go through and get everything inside the chests? I mean, given the way they were in chapter one, where they were already pre-opened and they were selling tickets to open them, I mean, yes, probably, but that is just a recurring thing in the game so far. Every area basically magically gets all its chests refilled, which is very weird. But No, it's not that. But I think that's a funny little tidbit that there was so... Because there's far and away more chests in Xanarkin than there have been in any other area. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Most areas have like maybe two or three, and Xanarkin's got like a dozen. You're right. For sure. There's so many. And they're all like in a very small place. It's like a a hallway, and then a big room, and each of them have, like, six chests in it. So now let's get into the meat and potatoes of the game, I guess. So 
we already briefly touched on that with the Yojimbo thing, even though that one wasn't required. But if there's some, if there's a theme to chapter three, it's really the Dark Aeon chapter. At least I would say so, because it seems like we fought, what, four of them in this chapter, I think? What is incredibly interesting to me is that they mention, I think it's near the last one, that the fiends are coming from inside those holes and that the dark aeons are controlling them. Yeah, and I think we touched on that a little bit in a previous episode. That was the speculation that they were coming from deep inside. And I I want to say you mentioned that, you know, maybe Vagnagun was keeping them in check and now that it ran away. And that very well could be, but I do think it definitely lends a lot of credence to that discussion we were having that all of the temples probably have that extremely advanced underground the way Bavel did. I I don't I don't know about that. Maybe it it seems at one point they mentioned that all of them are interconnected. Yeah. So yeah, may I mean maybe they're all interconnected from that standpoint. It's just there's something happens near the end and we'll get get to it in there when when we get to that point, but Yuna ends up falling in one of those and you don't actually see what's down there because it kind of goes into some crazy dream sequence. Yeah. Um, actually, since we're talking about them all being connected, I literally just had this thought, you know, when you jump down into the big crater in Bavel and you get to that massive, like absolutely enormous thing you're, that you is, was the final dungeon of chapter two. Right. And, there's all these chains that link all around this room that a lot of them are either broken or just immediately lead. That is a great point. One of them is broken. And one of the, I'm pretty sure like only two of them are broken. We know that Lake Makalania fell into the ocean. Right. And if I remember correctly, the temple in Makalania had essentially nothing below it. And it was just kind of hanging there. Yeah, it basically was just like floating in the water. Mm. And and yeah, if they are all linked, then do each of them drop into that room with the gigantic chains connecting everything? That's my first thought that, like I said, it literally just occurred to me when you were talking. Potentially, yes. So then that's not even really under Bavel. That's just basically under the world at that point, or under the continent of Spira at that point. Yeah. When you first get to Besaid, so to continue with the rest of the story, did you also find it a little strange that not only did that one guy mention burning down the temple, Payne did too. Yeah. So, Becklum, I think his name is. the. Yeah, he was the extreme jerk from chapter right. yes, one. But- He's almost like the all the negative stereotypes of like what you would consider uh, like an angry atheist in the real world in terms of like oh when you hear the stereotypes of oh they just actively hate religion or whatever that's exactly what this guy actually is. I don't you know I think a lot like a lot of those stereotypes they're not actually true in the real world necessarily but they sure were here. He really really dislikes it and he goes even. Like, he went into the thick rant about summoners in Chapter 2, but then in Chapter 3, he elaborates on that even more, and it's just even more, like, 
the church has never done anything good for anybody, and he he just seems really eager to destroy it. Yeah. Although when you're when you're done fighting Valefor, apparently Waka goes, "Yeah, he was kind of right. Um, it definitely seems you know next time." Even though we made a bunch of memories there, and you specifically, Yuna, had the ultimate memory there of meeting, you know, the love of your life down there. Oh, I think I'll just burn it down to the ground next time. Because I am about to have a baby. Wow, Waka, way to be super insensitive. I mean, like a lot of the times when Becklam, with, with a lot of the characters so far, Becklam comes off really, really bad. But then in the conclusion, when he actually talks again... He seems a lot more reasonable, and I haven't decided because part of me wants to say that this is just, like, emotions are high in a lot of these situations, and then when people calm down, they, they're they better, which makes more sense, or, I mean, which does make a lot of sense, but I also sometimes kind of wonder if this is just really inconsistent writing, because it keeps happening with so many characters. We had actually touched on that in a different episode, I think it was the last one, where we theorized that multiple teams were tasked with working on each chapter yeah, and that there was probably a basic storyline laid out of where everything needs to go. And it seems like there were people that had their own spins on what they thought about each character. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think it's especially obvious with some of these more minor characters like Beckham or, like, I know we made a similar comment about Gipple's discussion of, you know, oh, well, how originally it came off as being a real jerk thing. But then when we actually talked to him, he made a really good point about how we just can't, the world can't depend on Unit or Russian and save them all the time. And they're both basically the same idea, but one of them is presented in a much more reasonable manner. And Becklam had the same exact thing because, at least to me, I thought his, his, this, his talk at the end of the mission was much more reasonable than in the beginning when he sounds like he's just a crazy dude who wants to burn the church. Yeah. So after Besaid, you go and, and do Kilika, and all of the missions in this chapter that are related to the actual story basically all play out the same, just like they introduced in the beginning of the chapter with the fiends coming out of the temples and you need to go deal with them. All of them lead to a dark Aeon, but Besaid and even more so Kilika there's really not any real plot that happens. And beside we get a little bit of pers- like characterization of Becklam and Waka, but nothing that actually moves the story forward. In Kilika, you don't even get anything like that. You get, what, a brief conversation with uh, Bartholomew? Yeah, you basically, Kilika is Donna misses Bartholomew, Bartholomew or whatever, and Bartholomew also misses Donna. Essentially, both of them want to see each other again despite their differences because they're on opposing factions and are both worried about one another so you go in and you know not necessarily save him but you save the whole town what now i know that i have millions of gil right now but the game specifically mentions multiple times that we're charging people for this effort why am i not seeing any of that money Somebody's got to pay for the Gallings fuel, I guess. Which, actually, come to think of it, what fuel do they even use? I don't know. Probably spheres. <laughs> like magic super energy or something? Let, let's be real. It's probably spheres. <laughs> Somehow. 
Because they basically are magical super energy. Well, I guess we can see we we can do an in-depth look inside the engine and find out what's down there. Somehow I doubt they thought that far into it. I, I mean, no. But it would it, be it awesome does look if they like did. There's, there's some sort of magical energy flying off of the ship when you... Yeah. When it flies around everywhere. But. I mean, really, it's not even worth... I suppose in the end, it's not even worth asking those questions because the answer is essentially magic, which is perfectly fine because that's part of the appeal of fantasy worlds is if you don't know how it works, the answer is magic. (laughs) Or in this case, if you don't know how it works, the answer is spheres. Yes. Magic and spheres are essentially interchangeable in Final Fantasy X. So I did think something was incredibly funny. One of probably my biggest disappointment with this section was how weak Besaid and Kilika were in terms of the overall plot compared to the required missions of literally every other part of the game so far. I think Besaid was just because it was more focused on, you know, Waka in general. And of course, there's there's nothing there at all because Waka is a nothing character who is nothing <laughs> at all. And so, you know, people who liked Waka for literally have no idea what is was to like about him at all but before we move on the one thing i will i do want to mention real quickly we were talking last episode about how brother was generally not as creepy and we were hoping that trend was going to continue and then they went and ruined it again in besaid that one part was extra creepy but for me it's come down to the it's kind of come full circle it's gotten to the point where I actually don't care about it as much anymore because it's happened so rarely that now it's sort of almost in the acceptable range of, oh, come on, dude, really? I I generally agree with that, but if you go back to Besaid, he would keep doing it. I think it was just the dialogue in general. Because when you walk past the sphere every time, he would just say, I see Yuna. Yes, but he had different dialogue even after you finished the mission. Like when I, I came back to do the uh, PR stuff and I'll, he had different dialogue where he started. He was like talking in Al bed about the things she was doing and it made it like an extra level of creeper to me. Oh, I did not see any of that. So, yeah, I was a little... Because I agree, I thought he was generally doing better, and then I was like, "Oh, really?" Uh. <laughs> but that's it. That's the only other thing I wanted to say. I, I just I couldn't move on without acknowledging that he got creepy again. What I thought was really funny about right before you go to Bavel, because after you complete Besaid and after you complete Kilika, then it kind of opens up so you actually can do stuff in Bavel. Because, of course, it turns out they actually need your help, too. Mainly because, you know, we at this point know that the Dark Aeons are controlling everything. Mm-hmm. And we definitely know that no one in Sphere is strong enough to, to take them out. Especially not with the Eternal Calm and everything. The only people that could potentially be strong enough are off gallivanting around Spira somewhere. Doing who knows what with Vegna Gun. But... It comes up and they're like, we don't know what's going on. And then Shinra goes, fortunately, I know everything. And then the video kind of comes up a little bit. 
then everyone's like, oh no, all these fiends are coming out of the thing. Why is this happening? And then they look at Shinra and he just sits there for a moment and then goes, I'm just a kid. How dare you? (laughs) I was waiting for that. Then we see when we land in Bavel, a quick flash of Gibble. When right after we finish Besaid and Kilika, it mentions, hey, they need help at Jose. So the very next thing we do is go to Bavel and then Gibble's there. I I will say one other funny thing about right before we go to to Bavel, just so we don't move past it, is when the distress call from Jose comes in, which is the chapter concluding mission, uh, Buddy and Shinner and everybody else are all eager to do it. And the brother is immediately like, Nope, nope, they're, we, I refuse to do it. I, I really want to know what is going on there, why brother dislikes Gipple so much. But, but he, It's for the same reason he dislikes News and Barrelite. They're attractive dudes. You think so? Yes. Well, maybe. Everybody throughout the entire game mentions how wonderful they are and how much everybody likes them. Brother is the typical dude that's jealous of every guy who has more than them. His yeah. entire character is... Every other dude on the planet is better than me, and I'm super jealous of all of them. So that's, that is 100% why he does not care about them at all. At least that is the impression that I am getting. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose that's probably all it is. I guess I was hoping for a little bit more of a deeper reason, but you're probably what, what? right. What, from brother? Yeah. Are you uh, kidding me, Andrew? A deeper reason? Yeah, that's Come fair. on now. You're right. Look at what they did to brother. You're right. I don't know why I said that. It would <laughs> anyway, so on to Bavel. So you get to Bavel, and Gibble's there. What the heck? At this point, I am thinking that Barrelai, Gibble, and News are all working together to essentially take control of Vegna Gun for whatever reason. And at this point, I'm I'm thoroughly confused as to what is going on. Yeah, that that momentary flash of Gippo. Uh, and he's in like a really weird place, too. He's like on top of the building. Well, and then he, after you fight, you see him there again. Yeah, because you, ha- you have to do all of Bavel again. Except you can skip the puzzles, thank God. Oh, yeah. But my RNG is... I really hate my RNG sometimes. I I really hate it. I don't know if it's just a game thing. I don't know if you're experiencing the same thing. I don't feel like... But down there, I got into fights, at least 10 fights, just walking around the circle, getting all of the chests. Probably more than that. I got into a fight every few seconds. I hated it. Uh, As soon as you say that, I'm now realizing I forgot to run around the circle and get the chests. (laughs) Wow. Oops. <laughs> oh, well. I did actually run all the way down to the bottom to see if the chest that had a ribbon came back, but it did not. It stayed empty. <laughs> yeah. It was actually there, and it was still open. Literally the only time I think that that has happened between chapters where there has been a chest that did not get refilled. Yeah. Because all the other ones were actually refilled. Some of them had the exact duplicate items in them. One of them had 200 gil before, and it had 200 gil this time. I'm loving the idea 
that there's some like Spira, you know, janitorial core or something that's going around and fixing all of these chests every time. <laughs> and just grumbling about sphere hunters ruining their perfectly set up chests. Except for Xanarkin, where Izaru obviously did it, as we established. So are we ready to get into the... The big stuff? Yeah, I think so. The crazy thing that happens when you get to the end? Yeah, because I don't, I don't think there's anything else left to cover, so let's let's dive in. I don't know about you, but it seems... T- I think that Vegnagun is controlling them. At least one of them at a time. Because news does some weird stuff. And I think they mentioned specifically that Vegnagun wakes up when something tries to kill it. It wakes up and runs away whenever it senses danger. And I think as a defense mechanism, it takes control of them. Because in that section, it also mentions that News shot both Gibble and Barely, but also Pain. Because it turns out that she actually was the recorder. Yes. So you were right. I was, yes. So I have no idea where LeBlanc fits into this at all, and I kind of hope we get that in Chapter 4. But what the heck is going on? I See, I don't think it's Vegnagun. I think it's the Titus guy. Because I what? Think, I think that's the only way that the things you see later make sense. And I'm pretty sure it's, uh, what do they call him, Shuyin? I think what, what they call him, the guy that yes. we were saying is like the Titus is you know, a dream version of or something. I'm pretty sure he's the one taking them over because Vagnagun, unless but they have, they established that that can even happen. Well, they haven't established it with Vagnagun either. I mean, it, whatever it is, we're basically entering uncharted territory here. Well, it, it kind of, to me, it seems like they, they fleshed out the whole pyre flies thing. Yeah. But why would Vagnagun be pyre flies? Like what? Vagnagun even- isn't pyre flies. Maybe he can control them. Maybe, but Pyreflies are, you know, the spirits of the dead. And that's why I think part of why I think it's Shuyin, because Pyreflies come out of Nuj and then it jumps to Barely. And then because of what happens shortly after that, that we'll get to in a little bit, I really... We're there now. Okay. So, because right after that, you go to Jose... And then the story just goes absolutely, I am not following anything at all. The only things that I'm sure of at this point is that Yuna is a reincarnation of Len and that Titus was the dream version of whoever Shu Yen is. So it kind of sounds like both of them are part of a much larger story because once again, we have that dress fear. See, I, I was going to say, I don't think Yuna is a reincarnation of Len. I think that that's basically sort of the same thing that's happening with Shuyin with a different mechanism where the spirit of Len, because again, if we go all the way back to chapter one, Shinra establishes that sometimes the spirit of wherever the dress sphere comes from can take over the personality of the user. And at, Shinra straight up confirms that the the... The dancer dress sphere came from Len. Yes, but in the video, 
Both of them clearly saw each other. Both of them clearly acknowledged each other. And this wasn't just Yuna having a dream. She was actually there. And he acknowledges her, calls her Lynn, seeing her as that person. Because it sounds like that when she falls into this thing, it seems she gets transported into some location. And in that location, there is this person. Well, we fell down another hole in Bavel, and apparently that Shuyin guy is taking over, according to you, if that Shuyin guy is taking over those people, then to me, it's it seems more plausible that they're both a reincarnation, which also suggests Titus might be out there somewhere. Yeah, and honestly, the um very ending of the chapter really kind of implied that. Because Sin has the ability to teleport people in time or whatever to this Xanarkin and back. What if Sin took the reincarnated Titus to Xanarkand. He grew up there and then he teleported him back because it already establishes sin has the ability to do that. Yeah, that's true. That's an, certainly an interesting proposition. So maybe Jekt wasn't actually his father and maybe, which would also explain why, the his Titus's mom cared way more about Jekt through the entire first game than him. What if Titus was literally just given to those two people as a baby, knowing that Jekt would eventually become Sin one day? Interesting. I don't know. I and maybe that is why Jekt cares so much because throughout the entirety of Final Fantasy X, Jekt. You see flashes of Titus's mom paying all of her attention to Jekt, completely neglecting Titus to the point where Jekt says multiple times, hey, Titus wants you, go over and hang out with him so he'll stop crying. If she doesn't care about Titus at all, I mean, yes, that does happen where sometimes moms, you know, just don't care about their kids or whatever, but it would make more sense to me if he was essentially an adoptive child that sin, AKA Jekt at this point knows, and maybe he has him grow up in Xanarkin in the dream Xanarkin. So his entire life, he's not like built up to like hate sin or, or whatever. Like, Hmm. I hope that's it. Cause that would be, that would answer so many of my questions. And in my opinion, that would wrap up both games so beautifully. That's interesting. I I can definitely see where you're coming from there. I'm still leaning towards the idea that the Titus that gets pulled out was dreaming. I'm curious because it's possible there was a real Jacked or, you know, someone, maybe not have the name Jacked, but a real person equivalent to Jacked who was Shuyin's father that the Jack in the Dream was also based on. Uh, so th that's another possibility as far as that goes. But I still think 
Shuyin is possessing people, and I, I, I think Titus. I, I don't think it's a reincarnation thing. I don't know. I, I mean, you're the one that brought up reincarnation in like chapter one. I did, but the fur. You're right, but the further it goes on, the less I think that that's actually happening. The further it goes on, the more I think that's happening, because why else would in that video he recognize Yuna? Because her appearance did not change at all, and in fact. When LeBlanc put on that Yuna's dress sphere, she turned into Yuna. Okay, that is a fair... Boom! Podcast done! Reincarnation confirmed. I mean, that is a that is a good bit of evidence, but I'm not. I'm still not convinced it's a reincarnation thing. Yeah, but, we'll but you're also convinced that magic didn't exist in the world, and look what happened there. Summoners did exist. Yeah. I, was I am riding high. You were wrong about the recorder, though, so it's one and one. I actually just wanted a reason for LeBlanc to actually be relevant more than just the cannon fodder that she's become. That was more me wanting more out of LeBlanc than what we got, honestly. At the time, I was even thinking to myself, and when I was editing it, I'm like, yeah, it 100% has to be pain. It, there's no way it could be LeBlanc. I really just wanted LeBlanc to be more than just what she is now. I'm and actually very disappointed because I really want LeBlanc to be. Yeah, ho hopefully she'll have some more to do in the last two chapters, But because I, I do completely agree. I'm pretty annoyed with what they've done to her character at this point, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. And she started off as a really interesting character. And it just seems like over time, they seemed like they didn't know what to do with her. And that's why the entire, the entirety of chapter three, she's just, Moping. oh, well, no, news is gone. If you cared about him that much, then why wouldn't you travel with the gall wings? Yeah. You don't have to become a party member because the whole game has just been about those three, but you could still travel with them and help in some way, shape or form. So that, it's just been, I'm very disappointed with what they've done with LeBlanc's character over the the entirety of the game so far. I agree. And again, honestly, same with Logos and Army, because it seemed like they were setting them up for something, and then it just kind of dropped. Well, we don't have the rest of the Crimson Fears. That's true. And there is still two chapters left, and maybe they're going to do something there. I don't know. And those Crimson Fears. Yeah, <laughs> those Crimson Fears. So, the ones we get this chapter are all very early ones that basically, essentially establish what we already talked about a few minutes ago, where Barilai, Nuge, and Gipple, and Payne are all a group, where even though you never actually see Payne, because she's always the one holding the camera. But she does actively participate, and she actually gets to talk a couple of times in the new ones. You know what was super annoying to me? You know, rewinding a bit back towards the end of Bavel, that scene in Bavel where you actually, where everybody at this point finds out that she was the recorder. They ask Payne, hey, why didn't you tell us that you knew them and that you had this past with them? Or, no, it was specifically after they find out that New shot them. She goes, why didn't you tell us that, that news attacked you? Her response is, well, you didn't ask. 
Yeah! Okay, Payne, you're right. I never specifically asked if News shot you in the back. So you could just say... Yes. Are you kidding me? That the game I hate that. It's not even just this game. I hate that. Because then it happens again later. Is something else happens, and then they're like, oh, well, you never... No, it, it happens with Shinra. Right, that's what when I was about to say. you Shinra saying the whole Lin thing. The, the, yeah, the, the game has pulled that multiple times in the space of just a few hours, and it's... Like, well, why didn't you tell... Why didn't you tell us? You didn't ask. Bro, you were there when the whole conversation about the dress sphere came up. You were there during the con during the viewing of finding out this Len person exists. And Yuna specifically asks about Len and then yells about Len off the side of the bridge or off the side of the motorcycle thing. The, the deck. The airship. And at no point did you ever think, oh yeah, that's just the person in the dress sphere. A- how did you know that? And B, you didn't ask. Well, he knows everything, remember? Except he doesn't know why it's happening because his only response is, I'm just a kid. Yes. I hate that when it happens in movies, television shows, and games. Well, you didn't ask. That is the biggest cop-out in the history of everything. You know what? You're right. I didn't specifically ask at some point in the future, are you going to stab me in the chest, Andrew? Well, that's your mistake. It's because, you know, and if you did ask, it's not like it's if people are physically incapable of lying. So if you had asked, that would have solved everything. Yeah. Like I just, oh, that just, that irritates me so much. So I did want to go back to that ending bit a little bit. The end of chapter three. Where Shuyin and Yuna talk, and Shuyin talks about how he wants to use Vegnagun to destroy Spira, basically. And then he turns back into Barilai. Like, uh, Nuj, I think, shouts for her to snap out of it, and then all, all, the person she's been embracing is, is Barilai, who, who gives some speech and walks away. And that's that right there is exactly why I'm convinced that it has nothing to do with Vegnagun, and it's Shuyin doing all the possessing. What do you mean by her? Barilai, Nuj, and Gibble are all dudes. I, her, Yuna. Oh. The person that Yuna was embracing was Barilai. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. And that, that like I said, so that's what makes me con pretty convinced that it's actually Shuyin doing the possessing. But that also lends more credence to the fact that that's definitely somewhat of a reincarnation. Because if Shuyin is using Barilai to talk to Yuna, then he knows that's Yuna. And he knows that that Yuna is most likely the reincarnation of Lin. I am convinced at this point that, there, there, it, that it's definitely some sort of reincarnation thing. Because it just doesn't, to me, it just doesn't make sense otherwise. Not that anything else has to make sense, the fact that Titus was a dream the entire time also doesn't make sense, so I'm sure whatever it actually is probably won't either. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I guess I would say that given the evidence that we have, 
I would probably buy that Yuna is a reincarnation more than I would buy that Titus was, given what we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, the whole Jekt taking Titus baby back, I'm not 100% sold on that, but I definitely think that Yuna is a, a reincarnation. But I also think that there is an actual Titus somewhere. I still think there is a Titus somewhere. Whatever that Titus is, I don't know. But I actually do think that there is a Titus. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably true. And honestly, I would imagine that if if you're going to reincarnate with it or (laughs) reincarnate, you got that in my head now. Yeah, because you know it's right. No, I your brain has come to the realization that it that they are reincarnations. If you're going to reunite with him, there we go. I'm sure that's probably only a hundred percent thing, given that there's. Di- I know there's different endings, but yes, like I, I would not be surprised if he's out there and we we regroup with him. I just think that yeah, he's probably the dream equivalent of of Shu Yin, who maybe now gets to survive on his own because, like you said, at that ending in ten, there is that moment where he's swimming along after the credits. But then that also doesn't make sense because if Shuyin comes back, then that's not the Titus that Yuna knows. And there really isn't going to be a reunite because this is going to be a completely different person. And I don't think Yuna is just going to... She even pulls away from him when he's saying all of those things as Shuyin because she's like, you are not the Titus I knew. I do not think she's just going to be super okay with this random dude just suddenly taking over. No, I don't. I don't think that's going to be how it goes either. But like we established, if the Aeons can come back, then there's probably still Titus in some form somewhere. But that's brings up another interesting thing that happens because they mention that these dark Aeons the Albed specifically mentioned that it's a combination of Fiend and Machina. So the Aeons might not actually be back. It may be a Machina-controlled version of whatever is left of the original Aeon. I actually thought that that was only just for in in Jose, where like the Fiends somehow fused with the machines that the Albed were trying to use to fight them with. That does... that. I don't know. That because just they sounds never... weird to me. Also, pain can speak Albed. Yes. I assume she learned that from Gipple at some point. Like, I guess, oh, you know Albed, Payne? Well, you never asked. <laughs> and literally, like, oh. everyone on the crew is stunned when she speaks in Albed. And that's actually what's disappointed me about the game. The more I learn about pain the more annoyed I've become at all of these things that that she's keeping from you. And it's made me like her character a lot less because I liked her a lot in the beginning because she was generally just the stoic person, but it kind of sounds like the entire game. She's more keeping this from them out of selfishness other than to protect them. Whereas the opposite is what happened in 10. Aaron kept everything from Titus to protect him over the course of the story. And you found out more and more because Arn was slowly telling him more about the story when he learned enough that he could handle what was actually happening. 
And it sounds like Payne is just selfish in the fact that, no, I just really don't want to tell other people my business. Which is fine, but when you're traveling around with people that you're quite literally asking them to, like, save your life, kind of not cool to just keep big things like she's done from everybody. That's actually really annoyed me especially now that we know so much about her it's actually pretty annoying because there are so many things that she could have cleared up and there are so many things that we would have been on her side if she had just been honest from the very beginning and and it's not like she doesn't know that because if she had explained the situation to Yuna and Riku, all Yuna wants to do is help people, and all Riku wants to do is have a good time with her friends. It's not like they would have just abandoned her. The more I learn about Pain at this point, the more I'm just not liking her character as a whole. That's fair. I, I'm mostly just kind of indifferent towards Pain. I, uh, I mean, the more we learn, like I'm really glad that the explanation was not that she was in relationships like we had talked about earlier. So on that, which obviously it became pretty clear that that couldn't possibly be what it was. And that was sort of a head fake from the game, but yes, in general, she's just sort of there. And I don't really have too much of an opinion on her. She's like, somehow she's both integral to what's happening and also kind of completely separate from it at the same time. And it's really weird and kind of unsatisfying. Her personality, I will say, does make more sense because she basically plays the part of the person behind the camera. Yeah. From her perspective, it's not her story to tell. So I get where she's coming from, but that doesn't make it any less annoying to me. Yeah. And and it's really interesting that you frame it that way because you're right. And that's actually kind of fascinating in that you very rarely see that sort of archetype being presented. And Describing her like that actually makes me a little more interested in her than I was a few minutes ago. It makes me like her less because that's how I am. And, you know, I secretly hate myself. So is that really a secret, though? Because you just admitted it to the Internet. I I mean, it's not much of a secret, but it never really was much of a secret to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) So what are your expectations for the next bit? You know, my expectations My expectations are we're going to have a massive Grand Prix battle. And my expectations are that they're reincarnated versions. Shu Yin, a.k.a. like original Titus, before Titus was reincarnated as a baby, transformed to Xanarkin, and then brought back. (laughs) um, And you're definitely going to be reunited with him at the end of the game if you do the 100% correctly. Um, But he's going to take over the apparently cowardice Vagnagun. And what what confuses me even, even more is if Vegnagun is just a huge coward, he's going to use Vegnagun to destroy everybody because he's tired of the fighting? That's so stupid. That happens in so many movies and television. The, the bad guy's motivation is just everybody's fighting, so I'm going to control everyone. Because it also happens a lot in anime, and there's one in particular that I'm thinking of that there's a the stoic character who spends the entire time 
hating himself and everyone else around him and you know at the very end it's all about well i'm gonna control everybody because there's gonna be peace if i'm in control yeah buddy it'll definitely be peaceful because you're in control you definitely have everything figured out but these other people that also have opinions don't matter i hate that archetype I mean, that and it com- sounds like that's what Shu Yen is doing. That comes up so much because I think because people want to try to have a villain that people can actually emphasize with on some level. But yes, it is extremely overplayed, and it's such a simple explanation when any interesting or really even competent villain really should have a lot more going on than basically the line that Dr. Horrible spoofed with the, the world just sucks and I want to rule it. I just had a thought. Okay. Titus grew up in a Xanarkin where there was no fighting. If there really was a reincarnation of Jack's kid, Jack knows what became of him. He knows what Shu Yin did and he knows that it has something to do with sin. And he probably found it out while he was in Spira. Because in Spira, he becomes a massive drunkard. And you find that out. He was kind of a drunk before, but he was also a very successful blitzball player in Xanarkin. Which, to me, would also suggest that that's what was going on in you know, that's probably what he was doing when Shu Yin was growing up, if Jekt really is his dad. So, Jekt knows what became of his son living in a world of fighting. Essentially coming to the realization that everybody has to die because that's the only way to solve these problems. So, what if Jekt knew that that exact same thing was going to happen? So, he took his reincarnation son to a Xanarkand that didn't have war, didn't have fighting because the Xanarkand that they're dreaming about is very clearly a utopia. Yes. It's very clearly a, this is the peak of humanity where everything is going great. It's basically like the Matrix. They picked the point where everything was as good as it ever got. What if he didn't want his son to grow up again in a world of despair? I mean, that's certainly that's certainly a good argument to support your theory. I'm still not convinced, but I, I will admit you make a very good point. I'm very excited to see what happens with the story, because even if that's not it, I want to know how they're going to explain all this. I really want to know how this is all going to get explained. And it, 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 assuming Titus does come back, because if 100% is this particular, I almost feel like he has to. Yeah. It, I mean, they're really making you earn it. I When I get to chapter five, I'm going to create multiple saves so I can see what happens if you don't get 100% and you can see what happens if you do. Because I want to see both of those things. I want to see how the story changes based off of you 100%ing it or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i interested in that too, although I may not. After having already had to repeat a bunch of stuff, I may just watch a YouTube video. 
Do you have any other predictions? Honestly, no. Because while I still feel like the story is kind of iffy, I really like the theory that I've got right now. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty solid on that. At the further we've gotten into the game, the more I've been kind of feeling like this is going to be like a J.J. Abrams scenario where the opening is really interesting. It gets you asking a bunch of questions, and then so many of those questions just never get addressed in any satisfactory way. And I, I, I have a feeling that's what we're going to get here, and it's kind of a little disappointing. I mean, I'm still interested in the game, and I'm still hoping it's going to resolve, but I, I don't know. If it turned, what would you think if it turned out that my theory was correct? Which part of it? Like the whole thing? The I, whole I would, thing. I would be really impressed with the game if that was the angle they actually went with. Because it, it, it would certainly be an unexpected twist that does still actually work with what we know. Mostly I'm just afraid that a lot of these answers are just going to wind up being just because. And that's what would make it really unsatisfying to me. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I would be incredibly disappointed if if that was how they were going to end it. And a lot of times... Especially if it's 100%, you get Titus back. Why? Uh, no reason. Because. Thanks, I guess. So, do you have any other predictions? You know, it's really hard, because anything I can think I would want to say feels more like a Chapter 5 thing at this point. I really don't know. I, I don't have pretty much any expectations for chapter four. We set up the calm network and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And from when I was looking at the guide, chapter four is also very short comparatively. So we may actually even potentially get the whole chapter done this week, but I'm just not sure what to guess with anything. Uh, I want to think that LeBlanc has something else up her sleeve in terms of she's going to come back and be relevant again in chapter five. Even if it's not relevant to the main thing, I just feel like there's going to be some sort of conclusion to her stuff, and I really hope it's a decent one. Because, I mean, I think we'll get a conclusion to the mini-story in all of them. Like, I think we'll probably find out why the robots on the Meehan High Road acted weird, uh, and I'm still curious if I was right, and it's a sabotage thing. I honestly don't think we're going to find that out. That's one of the things that I think is just going to be left to, eh, it just happened. I mean, that was a minor enough thing that if they don't address that, then that's fine. The only reason that one stuck out in my head was because the game specifically drew attention to the fact that there wasn't a resolution to it, and it would be really weird for them to continue to not have a resolution to it. <laughs> They're like, FYI, you'll be asking yourself this for the rest of your life. Yeah, like, why would you, do, why would you, why would you just not say anything if you weren't going to finish it? But, so no, I, I'm really not sure what's going to happen in Chapter 4, so I, I'm just kind of waiting to see, I guess. Well, I have a question. Do okay. you want to know what my secret mission was about? Your secret mission? Yeah, my secret mission that I was working on. Because I finished it while we were recording. Sure. Why don't I just walk over there for a second? Why don't you just go ahead and read what's on my cursor there? How did you do that? <laughs> do you not get that through the Calmlands thing anymore? You do. You just can get it from multiple places now. Oh. I unlocked Mascot. 
is that like the reward for beating the arena? That is the reward for specifically beating the Youth League Cup. Oh. So I now have mascot at the end of chapter three. Wow. So I'm going to go into chapter four and five, not only overleveled, but have the most powerful dress sphere in the game. Wow. If I had known, I actually would have done this in chapter one because it's possible to get it in chapter one, too. Wait, really? Yeah. You can get everything you need to to get it in chapter one. Wow. In the creature creator. If I had known that then, I definitely would have done it. Part of me wants to say, wow, I can't believe you would do that. But I immediately know the answer is absolutely 100%. You would do that. No question. Oh, yeah. That's just the way I play games. Yeah. Once I know know that I want something, I get it. That's wow. Congratulations on having mascot. (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that other than, wow. Are you going to start immediately using it? (laughs) Of course. Yes. Of course I'm going to start using it. With who? Everyone. (laughs) All three of them are immediately going to get mascot. Fair enough. Well, on that note, I guess I have some projects to work on when I get out of here. Because I haven't really done much with the arena, and clearly I should be. Oh, yeah. Especially if, it, especially for as light as Chapter 4 is. Yeah. You could... It, it Honestly, because the creatures do most of the attacking themselves, really did not take me very long. Here's yeah. the thing. I found out you could do this Friday, and I just got it today. T- to be clear, we're recording on Saturday. So the, for context, I found out Friday evening, it was possible to get mascot in chapter one. So I wanted mascot. Yeah. And honestly, if chapter four is as short as it seems like it is, I might have a lot of extra time that I would normally be spending getting through the thing to work on the arena. So, and to be honest, the arena is actually quite fun. There's a lot of different items and stuff that you can get through it. There's a lot of really powerful items. One of them I found, the reward for the Chocobo Cup, one of them is Rabbit's Foot. Raises the luck stat by 100. That's a lot of luck. Yeah. Considering that most of the stats in the game, like, it looks like the meter maxes out at like 255, so that gets you basically like 40% of the way to max immediately. Yep. And with that... This has been episode seven of Video Games Cover to Cover. Thank you for listening, as always. New podcasts every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, I hate Waka. Waka.